Welcome back to the You Are Love podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Neil, and we are exploring the greatest power in the universe, the love of God. This is episode number 33, Raised Up. The book of Acts is the actions or the activities of the early church. And we've said it's a record of the witness of the first followers of Christ. And the main idea can be found in chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus commissioned the disciples. He sent them out. We can see this, uh, what is called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Now, to be commissioned is to be authorized to do the work. The person doing the commissioning has authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And because of that authority, I send you out to make disciples. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage, known as the Great Commission, and the next passage, I think, should be known as the Great Definition. Acts 2.42 sums up who we are as a church and what we should be doing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking the bread, and to prayers. Acts 2.42 They gave themselves to the teaching about Jesus and to doing life together and to breaking bread, having holy communion and to communication with God. Prayer. Well, I've been studying the book of Acts for several months and I've seen the, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, the first miracle, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, the first sermon by Peter. And we've seen Peter miraculously escape prison twice. We've seen uh, the importance of prayer. We've seen the disciples wait in Jerusalem to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they have been witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the utter parts of the earth. And we learn that the utter parts of the earth is, is not where dairy farms are. Matter of fact, it has nothing to do with cows whatsoever. And now we're seeing that Paul has been sent to the rest of the world where non-Jews, those outside of the Jewish faith, live. The Holy Spirit has set apart, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas, and Saul for the work to which I've called them. They laid, laid hands on them and they sent them off. Now, in Acts 13, we see the very first recorded sermon by Paul. Paul's first sermon is dominated by one subject, the resurrection. Acts 13, 29 and 30, when they had carried out all that was written about him, 
they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. For Paul, the resurrection is a fact. It's not an allegory or symbolic. He has met the resurrected Jesus and it has radically changed his life. He went from killing Christians uh, to preaching the gospel and leading the church. So not only is this a life-changing fact for Paul, it's a life-changing fact for many who also saw the resurrected Jesus. There are over 500 people still alive. When he's writing uh, to the Corinthian church, it's only about 25 to 30 years from Jesus' ascension. So there are plenty of people still alive who saw the risen Christ. And what he's saying is you can go talk with them. Uh, You don't have to take my word for it. Lots of people can tell you what happened. This letter to the Corinthian church was made public. So that just makes it all the more conclusive and convincing that there are over 500 people who could have said, Paul is making this up, but instead we have over 500 people who can say, yes, I saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 5 and 6. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. Many witnesses. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 13, verses 31. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. So... Paul views the resurrection as fact. He uh, testifies that there are many witnesses. And he also views the resurrection as a fulfillment. Here's what Acts 13.33 says. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I've become your father. The blessings of God hinge on this bodily resurrection of Jesus. And we can see that in Acts 13, 34. Since he raised him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will grant you the faithful covenant blessings made to David. The blessings of God hinge on the bodily resurrection. This is fact for Paul. This is a fulfillment for Paul. And Paul realizes that if there's no resurrection, we're to be pitied. Christians are to be pitied. Here's what he said. He said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And if we are... and If we put our hope in Christ for this and this only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul writes that the resurrection is the most important thing. It's the first thing in his mind, in his heart. When he speaks, he tells of the risen Christ. Here's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. For I pass on to you as most important what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, 
Then he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Most of them are still alive. Paul preaches the resurrection as fact, as fulfillment, and he's not the only one who has seen this supernatural miracle. Jesus is alive. The ancient Greek Stoics believed when you die, you go into the soul of the world. And you're part of the world, but you're, you're not a person. You, you lose your individuality and your personality. You're part of the world, but uh, a non-personal, so a non-personal eternity. We can see this in Hinduism and Buddhism. You become part of the soil, and the soil feeds the next generation, and so we become part of the circle of life. Remember Disney's Lion King? So that's Stoicism. Now, an, an ancient Greek philosopher named Epicurus uh, taught that when you die, that's it. There's no afterlife. You don't have to be afraid of death. You're just gone. It's just the end. Many, many people believe this, that death is the end. There is no afterlife. Aristotle said, all we are is dust in the wind. And this rock band immortalized this idea that we are dust in the wind with a, a beautiful haunting melody. I, I can't remember the name of the band, but I know they, from, they were from somewhere out in the Midwest, somewhere like Kansas or something. Many people think Aristotle was right. He is, after all, still considered one of the greatest thinkers of all time. Are we just dust in the wind? My mother's ashes were spread on my... I spread my mother's ashes on my father's grave. So technically, what was left of her body did become dust in the wind. Now here's the problem with these philosophies of a, a non-personal future. A non-personal future means the loss of love and loved ones. You have to be a person to experience love. So if love is the main thing that makes life meaningful, and we, we know that love is the main thing that makes people happy. Do you see the problem? If love ends, then all loving relationships end. Are you okay with either uh, an eternity where you're gone and there's nothing left forever, or there is an eternity, but it's it's impersonable, impersonal, imperson, impersonal. And you won't know or love or have loved ones. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You know, before I had any theological education, before I ever picked up a Bible or went to church or read a book on philosophy or psychology, something deep inside of me thought there has to be more. It can't be that death is the end. There has to be more to this life. There has to be meaning, purpose, love, goodness, truth, and there is. There is more to this life. There is meaning. There is purpose. There is love. There is truth. And that's why Christianity is a worldwide phenomenon that has exploded on every continent and has become so rooted in so many cultures 
North America, South America, Canada, Asia, Europe, Africa, everywhere the gospel goes, it thrives. Scripture tells us there is more to this life. There is an eternity. And if you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. In John 3, verse 36, Jesus said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Martha Martha came running up to Jesus. She heard Jesus was on his way, and she couldn't wait. She ran to him, and she said, If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. I, I can't help but think that she means it's too late. There's nothing anyone can do now. He's dead, and that's the end. Jesus looked at her and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, even though they were dead, they will live. Your brother, my friend, will rise again. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes. And I believe God is still asking that question. And still proclaiming he is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Martha said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is to come into the world. My good friend David Alexander's mother passed away recently and he posted this on Facebook. And I talked to him about it. He said he was bawling when he wrote this. But not out of sadness, out of hope. He wrote, death, where was your sting? Grave, where was your victory? You got nothing. And my mom is in glory. Praise Jesus. My friend David was, he's quoting from Paul. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is in sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain. The resurrection means there is a future. The resurrection means you will still be you and you will be with loved ones. The resurrection is the reversal of everything. The resurrection means you get your body back. The resurrection says no to death being the end. The resurrection says no to an impersonal future. The resurrection says no to a loveless, meaningless, purposeless life and eternity. The resurrection means the future is certain, it's personal, and it's wonderful.
I know I use this verse a lot and I'll keep on using it. It's just so magnificent. It's the second to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Revelation 21 verse 4. Then he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more pain. They've all passed away and will exist no longer. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The resurrection means the future is certain, and it's personal, and it's wonderful. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'd like more information on this ministry, go to www.ur-loved.net. We'd love to hear from you and become prayer partners with you. God bless you.